Good morning, church. Hey, thank you. Good morning. Hey, um, I was talking to Pastor Adam this week uh, out in Idaho. I sound really loud, Josh. I don't know if you want to bring me down a little bit. Um, and I said, man, like, you're such a good speaker. Like, how, how do you communicate so well? And he said two things. He said, number one, start with a story. And number two, uh, look yourself in the mirror and say, I have a winning personality and people like me. Um, <laughs> I did not do the mirror part, but I am going to start with the story. Um, but before that, I just wanted to plug really quick today, Pastor already said it, but First Steps class, if you're new to the church, that's something that I normally teach in the youth auditorium right after first and second service. Pastor Jim will be there today. If you're like, hey, I love this place. I just want to learn how to get plugged in. That's a great way to do it. I highly encourage you go to that class, learn about the history of the church, learn about the Assemblies of God, and uh, just all of that good stuff. So I have a story to tell you about a 16-year-old version of myself. Um, we used to have this thing called D-teams at our church. It's, it's now kind of called groups, um, but I was in senior high. I was a junior in high school, and I just got my driver's license, and I was going to D-teams on a Sunday night, and it was actually at a house in this neighborhood right back there. I picked my friend Chris up, and we're on our way to D-Teams. And uh, we get there, and there's like 25 cars there. So I park in the street, because all these cars are parked in the street, and I uh, get out of the car. And for whatever reason, before we left, I didn't use the bathroom. So I'm like, hey, man, I know we're meeting in the back on the patio, but uh, I got to go inside and use the bathroom really quick. And I've been there like five or six times before. So I walk into the door. My friend Chris goes to the back. and. Uh, I walk inside, and I've been there previously, and I was like, man, they, uh, since I was here last week, they painted all the walls. The walls are totally different. And so I keep walking, and uh, I walk into the bathroom, and I'm like, they totally redid the bathroom, too. The bathroom is completely different. And so I use the bathroom, and uh, I walk out, and uh, there's this strange man staring at me that I've never seen before. I'm like, how's it going? And he said, what are you doing in my house? And it clicked in my brain that I am not in the right house right now, and I just used this man's bathroom. So I did what every 16-year-old kid does, and he said, what are you doing in my house? And I just walked out the door. I didn't say anything to him at all. I just walked right out of his house like it never happened. Um, two things. Number one, my friend Chris that was with me, knew exactly that, he knew I was going in the wrong house the entire time and let me do it, because he was like, this is gonna be funny, he's gonna, he's gonna, <laughs> he, he actually told me afterwards, he said, I never thought you'd actually get to the bathroom, I thought you would realize before that you're in the wrong house, um, but I didn't. And then the second thing, which is crazy, is I found out that the week before, this man that was living there had been robbed at gunpoint, and he thought that uh, the robbers were coming back to take whatever else was left, so when he, he was like mad that I was in there because uh, I think he thought I was robbing the place. So um, I'm alive, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm alive. I just barely made it out with my life. Um, but I say all this to say, to say this. Um, some of you in this room right now are trying to figure out, is God real? Is God not real? Does he exist? Um, why am I here? And the reality is that God is real. God does exist. God's moving just as much today as he ever has. And the reality is maybe that you don't think God's real because you're not in the right place. You have all the gifts that you need, but you're not in the right place. So let's pray. 
God, I just pray that today you would speak a thousand sermons, that today your words would, um, your words would just reign true, God, that my words wouldn't be spoken, that people would hear things that I don't even speak today because of you. We just ask for life change today, God, and we ask that we would leave differently than when we came in the room today. Amen. I also want to say hello to Livestream, hello to Mississippi, hello to Grand Blank, hello to the radio stations and prisons and the app and wherever, the, wherever else we're at. <laughs> I want to say hello to all of those places. Um, the church is at war. Whether you like it or not, the church, and I don't mean Freedom Center Church, I don't mean the American church, I mean the global church, we are at war. When I was a kid, coming to this church or coming to church, it meant that you got something in return, right? Like, so politicians would come because it meant that, oh, they, they belong to this church, so like they, they got more votes because they belong to the church. Or business people would come to the church because, oh, it's going to benefit my business if I am in church. The reality right now is that if you tell people that you come to church, there's automatically assuming things about your personality that has never happened before in my entire lifetime. It used to be that you would benefit from coming to church, and now it costs you something to come to church. The church is at war like it never has been before. Um, our strength in spiritual warfare is no greater than our ability to control our own thoughts. When you think about people that are attacking you, accusing you, angry with you, and I'm talking about people that are in this room with you currently, when you think about those people, how many people have had that argument, right? Like 20 times in your head before you actually even talk to the person, you win the argument every time because obviously they were in the wrong, your motives were pure, there was no problem uh, there at all. Um, your mind literally controls whether you're winning spiritual warfare or losing spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians verse 10, or sorry, chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Um, when you take a thought captive, it's literally like, to put it in layman's terms, think about Osama bin Laden, think about Kim Jong-un. All of a sudden, instead of those people warring against America, you took them and you turned them into like the greatest warrior for America. You take those things that were warring against you, and now all of a sudden they're warring for you. When you take thoughts captive, that's literally what you're doing. If you have an argument with somebody and you're angry at them, and you just turn that, that thought in your idea and you start praying for that person, what you're actually doing is you're taking something that Satan meant for evil, and you're turning it into good. The Lord has unusual ways of leading us into war. Um, when we think about war, we think it's time to get serious, it's time to get the tanks, it's time to get guns, and it's time to fight. The reality is that the Lord doesn't think that way. The reality is that there's stories in the Old Testament, I don't have the scripture for you, but the Israelites are fighting this people group, and the Lord blinds this people group, and they're like, all right, let's go kill them. And that's not what God says. God actually says, no, you're going to invite them in, and you're going to feed them. Okay, like you're God, we're going to do what you're telling us to do. So he feeds this group of people, and then they, this group of people that are trying to kill the Israelites, they say, uh, yeah, like you took care of us, we're good, we're just going to go away. And that was the end of the war. They literally just fed them. 
another story of God just sending the worshipers to the front lines instead of the army. And uh, unless you don't like the worship team, that seems like a really weird way to fight a battle. Um, the Lord has unusual ways of leading us into war. I want to read, uh, my main teaching today is going to be out of Zechariah chapter 1 this morning. Pastor actually asked me on Thursday, he said, hey, what are you speaking on? And it was like 7 in the morning. I've got little kids. I hadn't had coffee yet. And I said, oh, I'm going to be teaching out of First Zechariah. And he was like, First Zechariah? There are multiple Zechariahs. And I said, no, 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 sorry, Zechariah 1. But there really is only one Zechariah, so I guess First Zechariah technically still is um, accurate. So I want to set this story up for you because we're going to kind of come up into the middle of it. But Zechariah chapter 1, this angel of the Lord is showing the prophet Zechariah um, this vision. And we're going to kind of come halfway through this vision. Uh, if you're looking for the book, if you have a physical Bible, thank you for having a physical Bible. I love that. If you're looking for the book of Zechariah, He's the 11th of the 12th minor prophets. So if you find the end of the Old Testament, go back two books, boom, you're in Zechariah chapter 1. I'm going to be reading it out of the message paraphrase just because uh, it helps me kind of understand it better. But Zechariah chapter 1 verse 18 says this, I looked up and was surprised by another vision, four horns. I'm going to stop right there. Um, I've read a lot of biblical concordances, and four in the Bible, a lot of times in Old Testament, means global. So you can kind of think of it like north, south, east, west, four um, means global. And horns in this case is a global uh, chaos, a global um, madness that's happening on earth. And how many of you know there's some global madness and some global chaos happening on earth right now. I love that the Bible has answers for everything, right? Like anything that we have problems with, we can look at it and like, oh, the Bible doesn't address this. No, the Bible does address it. We just need to read it. So it says, I looked up and was surprised by another vision, four horns. I asked the messenger angel, and what's the meaning of this? He said, these are the powers that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem abroad. Then God expanded the vision to include four blacksmiths. That's weird. Asked, and what are these all, all about? He said, since the horns scattered Judah so badly that no one had any hope left, these blacksmiths have arrived to combat the horns. They'll dehorn the godless nations who use their horns to scatter Judah to the four winds. That's a really unusual way to win a battle, right? There's this global madness happening. The people of God are being attacked. And God's answer to that is to send four, again, so global, four blacksmiths, four creatives for artists to fight this global madness that's happening. If there is, we're in the City on a Hill uh, sermon series right now, but if there was a name for this uh, sermon today, it would be Win at War, Create. Um, and I want to say this. I'm just going to keep dropping these. Don't get distracted by that. Uh, God doesn't send one blacksmith. He sends four you were not created to do life alone. You weren't created to fight your battles alone. You weren't created to feel alone. But today, more than ever, it's easy to be alone, right? We have this thing called social media on our phone and we feel so attached, but the reality is we've never been more unattached to people around us. We have hard conversations through text message because it's easier than doing it face to face when in reality you need to have that conversation face-to-face -face because there are emotions that get portrayed in text messages that people never meant in their intentions to have that conversation. Now we've created a way bigger problem and disunity. 
You need to have community around you of people that are pushing you towards who you were called and who you were created to be. And can I say this too? I know I just said, when I wore create, and you heard create, and you're like, oh, this is the creative pastor. He's going to talk about music and painting and architecture and like, bro, I'm a, I mow lawns. Like, I don't want to hear about this. Uh, when's Pastor Jen coming back to talk about the Vietnam War? Like, I'm just ready for that <laughs> next week. Um, but the reality is that that is not what art is, right? Art can be a lot of things. Creating can be a lot of things. Creating is the mom that has the tough kid that only she knows how to raise to become a great adult. Creating is the accountant that has a problem that literally doesn't seem like it can be solved, and somehow he prays for spiritual insight from God, and God gives him the answer that helps the business prosper. Creative could be a lawyer that knows that he has to win this case and that this person is innocent, but all signs are pointing towards this person being guilty, and God gives him insight, and he wins the case. I want to um, talk about a book. There's this book that I read. It's by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor out in California. Uh, it's called The Genius of Jesus. Did I? Yeah, we're good. Uh, it's called The Genius of Jesus. And they took this group of uh, 1,600 kids, and they tested them for a creative genius. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm getting there. Thank you. <laughs> Pastor's coaching me over here. <laughs> uh, they took these kids and they tested them for creative genius. And what they found was that at five years old, 98% of kids were creative geniuses. They took those same kids five years later, and what they found was that only 30% of those same kids were still creative geniuses. They took that same group of kids another five years when they were 15, and they found out that only 10% of those original kids were creative geniuses. Then they went a step further and they tested 280,000 adults and found out that only 2% of them were creative geniuses. They also did this really cool thing in the study where they, they, um, they gave four-year-olds a problem in play and they gave 10-year-olds that exact same problem uh, in an academic environment. And the four-year-olds were able to solve the problem in play that the 10-year-olds could not solve in an academic environment. There is a reason why God is calling us to be creative. It's that we can solve problems that we can't solve otherwise. I got ahead of myself. Uh, the book says this. It says that we have concluded that not thinking creatively is a learned behavior. It also came out to say this. It said that our proficiency in expressing creativity gradually falls off as we learn to accept others' opinions, evaluations, and beliefs. What we've seen with adults is that there's still that five-year-old creative genius inside of them waiting to break free. You all have a creative genius inside of you that's just waiting to break free. And can I say this? I think I might be skipping ahead in my notes, but I feel like I just need to say this. The world does not need our Christian morality. They need our creativity. If they look at you and they're, why would I want to be a Christian if you, your life is exactly like mine as you just seem a little angrier than I am? I guess I get drunk on the weekends and you don't, and other than that, our lives are completely the same. They don't need our morality. They need our creativity. They need companies that are being created that are the best companies in the world, and they have Christian morals. 
creativity is huge in the church. We don't have a morality problem in the church. We have a creativity problem. We need to be better. It's quiet in here. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Um, there is an authentic you that needs to be creatively expressed. And the church needs you to be you. Not the person that just clocks in, clocks out, I pay my bills, I make sure my family's fed. No, 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 the church needs you. Before there was a you, there was a reason for you. God created you to answer a problem that he saw in this world before you even existed. Before you were alive, God saw a problem. He saw hungry kids somewhere and said, it's your job to feed those kids. Go. And you can't do that unless you're creatively being called to be who you actually are. There's homeless people that need clothes, and he created you to solve that problem. There's businesses that need to be built to solve other problems, and he's created you to do those things. But you can't do those things if all you're doing is clocking in 40 hours a week to pay your bills. And I'm not saying, oh, just quit your job and you'll figure it out. But I'm saying you, you are uniquely equipped to answer questions that nobody in this world is equipped to answer except for you. Um, Pastor Jim wrote this book. It's called Why is Greater Than What? And uh, it's a really good book. If you haven't read it, we're going to have some copies of it out there. We don't have very many copies, so if you're like, I'm going to read this, please take one. If you're like, oh, free merchandise, I'm going to take it, but I'm never going to read it. Please don't do that. So if you're going to read it, we'd love for you to have a copy of it. Um, but this is the answer to that question. If you're like, I, I don't really know what I'm good at. I don't really know what I want to do. I don't know why I exist. This is the answer. So passion. What are you excited about? What gets you out of bed in the morning when it's your day off and you have nothing to do? Pain. What keeps you up at night? What are you like, that just makes me so angry, and I want to be able to figure out the answer to that. I hate that there's starving kids in the world. I hate that there's kids in the world and in this country that went to bed tonight and they didn't eat anything. Proficiency. What, what do you do when people say, hey, you're really good at that? And then you take those three things, and that's your answer. It's not that simple, but if you can find something, this is what Pastor Jim says to dumb it down. He says, what thrills you, what kills you, and what fills you? If you can find what thrills you, what kills you, and what fills you, I promise you, you are being who you were called to be. Uh, when we become who God created us to be, it reveals a perfect father to an orphaned planet. The world is not looking for our morality. They're looking for evidence of a creator. And the answer to evidence of a creator is by us creating. 
By us creating, we are reflecting a perfect father that is the ultimate creator. They're trying to figure out why do I belong and what exists and why am I here and uh, I just feel so lost. And the reality is that they need a church of people that know who they are, they know why they're here, they know why they're called because that's an attractive Christianity that I want to be a part of. That's not the moral compass that just says, oh, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't run with girls that do those things. I'm actually making a difference. I'm doing what I was called to do. The reason why famous people are just like, they want to be followers because they know what they're doing, right? They don't have the Christian morals, but they're like really good at what they're doing. Elon Musk is such a popular person to follow because he's creating all these incredible companies and he's doing all these great and exciting things and people just want to follow him. But what if there were a thousand Christians that did that exact same thing, that knew exactly who they were supposed to be and why they were here, and they pointed it all back to Jesus? That's the type of Christianity that I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a moral compass. I don't want to be a part of um, we just get married and we have kids and we do our best to raise them and then we die and we'll figure it out later. Uh, We need to be the church that we were called to be, and that's the church that's going to make a difference. Worship team, you can come back up here. Um, As Christians, every place that we enter should be left better when we leave than when we got there. We should be leaving a mark of excellence everywhere that we go. You walk into a bathroom and there's paper towel on the ground, you pick it up and you throw it away. And you don't Instagram about it. You don't take a Facebook story. You, you, don't, you don't put it on Snapchat. You just pick it up and you throw it in the trash. Because we are called to live excellent lives. And that starts with small things. Not big things. Not things that people are going to see. If you see a piece of trash in the parking lot, you pick it up and you throw it away. Because we are called to live excellent lives that are going to reflect our Father. I'm so tired of hearing people say, oh, I'm going to stop hiring people from your church because they're all lazy. (laughs) Like, that's the thing that's happened in the past. I can't hire any young people from the church because all they want is a paycheck and they don't really want to work. They just want to be friends. Like, we need to be leaving. Pastor Jason's, like, cringing. He's like, I hate that person. (laughs) Not hate. Hate's a strong word. I really don't like that person. Uh, It's time to dream bigger dreams, to create bigger and better, and to think like children, to be simple like children, to play like children, to be creative like children. There's global insanity happening in the world right now, and it seems like the the easy thing to do is to complain, to be upset, to get angry, to fight. But the reality is that in Zechariah chapter 1, God doesn't do that. God builds up blacksmiths, creators, people that are going to fight, not in the flesh and blood, but they're going to fight by being the best people that they can be, being creative, being who they were called to be. And the reality is that for us to win this spiritual war that's happening, we need to be who God has called us to be. The answer to global insanity is not a nasty letter. It's not an angry message. It's not unfriending someone. It's not becoming a social justice warrior. The answer to insanity is become who God uniquely created you to be.
so who are you, church? Like, for real. Not like, who does the world want you to be? When people are on their deathbed, one of their biggest regrets is making decisions because they wanted to impress other people. That's one of their biggest regrets. I just wish I would have done what I actually wanted to do, not what I was told to do. So what are you supposed to do? Who are you supposed to be? Because God has created you to be you, and nobody else can be. And uh, I saw this illustration a little while ago. Oh, I'm doing good on time. This is good. Um, Some of you in this room, I feel like, are saying, yeah, but even if I do make those changes, like, I'm not really going to make that big of a difference in the world. I don't really have any influence. I don't really have any pull. Like, no matter what I do, sure, I can live uniquely to be me, but it's not really going to change anything. And um, I have this word for you. You're a pizza box. Um, Yeah, you heard me right. You're not like hallucinating. You're a pizza box. A pizza box. And if you think about that... um, think about you're really hungry, like you're super hungry, but your kids have been crazy all day today, and it's like, how many, how many moms in here know, like, hey, tonight's pizza night, like, I just need a break, it's pizza night tonight, um, we are ordering a pizza, and so you order the pizza, and you know what, like, we're going to splurge like crazy, they're going to deliver the pizza to us, we're not even going to pick it up, like, they're bringing it to us, amen, um, and so the pizza guy comes, and you're starving, and he comes up to you, and he's holding the pizza like this, and there's no box. He's just holding the pizza in his hand like this. And he brings it to you. And like, bro, like we're still kind of living in a COVID age. Did you wash your hands before you did that? Or did you just use the bathroom, but now you got this pizza in your hand? Um, the reality is that the box itself is not that useful. But when you put the pizza in the box, the value goes up exponentially. You are not God, but you carry God inside of you. You are the pizza box. Um, I think next service I might try to get a physical pizza box. I think that would be cool to just kind of hold, hold on to that. Um, the worship team is going to lead us in this last song. Um, we were at a conference a couple weeks ago. And uh, their team led this song, and they're going to sing it. It's a new song. We haven't done it yet. Uh, But the chorus is so simple. It just says, send me. Send me, God. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere that you ask me to go. And um, some of you just need to sit and listen to the song and just say, like, send me, God. Like, I'm tired of average. I'm tired of clocking in and clocking out. I'm tired of waking up every day just excited to go to bed. I want to live to be who you called me to be. So you guys could just stand. Yeah. God's awesome. I just... Uh, I don't, I don't know if I want to say this because I feel like I'm going to get a reaction. I'm not a good public speaker at all. And um, I felt like that just this week, just thinking like, I'm not, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. And I felt like God said like, yeah, you're right. You're not good at this. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And he's like, but through me, you're great at this. And I feel like some of you need to hear that this morning. 
I feel like some of you have come into this room today and you're like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I am not called to do it at all. You're right. You're not good at it. But through him, you're great at it. So it's time to stop living scared. It's time to stop living hurt. It's time to stop living in the what if for tomorrow or maybe next year I'll do that. Like now, church, you're promised today. You're not promised tomorrow. Today could be the last day. It's time to start living like today could be the last day. Let's live to be who God uniquely called us to be. Sing the song with us and just listen to it. If you feel like you need to just contemplate it, uh, if you need to just spend some time thinking, do that. But.